You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric. And this is episode 34. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again. This is part two of the story of Bruce MacArthur, the Canadian murderer. I'm actually going to switch it to the Canadian serial killer in the little title. I feel like that's more the, the right title. So I'm going to go with that. Otherwise, um, you want to just get into it? You ready? Yeah. Let's get into part two. So you have, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that first because I'm just going to get a, a, you know, a little brief. Previously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A little previously. Yeah. On episode 33. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, go listen to that first if you have not. Let's get into it. We left off with Bruce living in an apartment in Leaside in Toronto, Canada, working as a self-employed landscaper. Bruce loved to go to gay bars in Church and Wellesley. In the same area, there is now five men that I have mentioned that have gone missing. The day is now June 25th, 2017, which makes it just three months after the last man, Salim Essen, went missing. And another man by the name of Andrew Kinsman is enjoying his time at Pride Toronto. Although the next day on the 26th, no one had heard from Andrew, and, but he was last seen in the area of his home in Winchester Street in Cabbage Town. By the way, when I was doing my research for this case, I looked up Cabbage Town and they have the cutest like Victorian houses and according to Cabbage Town Preservation Association, this area is recognized as the largest continuous area of preserved Victorian housing in all of North America. I really want to go visit sometime, so we're going to go do that in the future. Okay. okay. Anyways, <laughs> Ted Healy and some of Andrew's other friends were really worried about him, so they decided to check out his apartment to see if he was there. After knocking and knocking, they make their way into his apartment somehow, and they see that Andrew's not home. And the place doesn't really look disturbed or anything. They do, however, find his 17-year-old cat with no water and no food. So obviously that's really weird, you know, really weird to them. The next day, they decide to report Andrew missing to the police. Andrew was known to be very responsible, and he was not the type of person to just, to just you know, up and leave without telling at least someone, like, close to him, especially leaving without his cat, you know? Same here. Who would do that? So, and he also had like a prescription medication that he was taking. So, and he obviously didn't take that with him either. Andrew was also on social media and investigators had found out that his cell phone had actually been turned off the day that he had supposedly disappeared. Greg Downer, a friend and coworker of Andrew's, set up Facebook groups in order to find him and other missing men. This group, the Missing Rainbow Community, provided different ways to stay safe while meeting people in real life after talking to them on a dating app. Greg, Andrew's friend, even went so far as to contact dating apps and asking for the option of giving consent to police to release their data from the app if they go missing, which I think is fucking awesome. So in July of 2017, Project Prism was created to investigate more into the disappearances of Andrew and Salim and hopefully find some links to the missing men they were looking into with Project Houston. This is when investigators get a tiny but crucial clue into who they might need to talk to. When investigators were looking through Andrew's apartment, they noticed on his calendar that on the same day that he disappeared, the name Bruce was written. 
How crazy is that? Insane. I know. So the same exact day, video surveillance actually caught a man that appeared to be Bruce outside of Andrew's home walking to a red car, although the video showed no license plates. Investigators concluded that this car was a red 2004 Dodge Caravan, and there were only five registered to a person named Bruce. They did link the Dodge to his apartment, but found out that he had already moved. And on October 3rd, Police officers wearing plain clothes head over to Dom's Auto Parts, located in Cortese, Ontario, which is 43 miles or 70 kilometers northeast of Toronto, to attempt and locate this red Dodge Caravan, which they believe to be in the area. Sure enough, they fucking found this car, and they confirmed the owner of Dom's Auto Parts that Bruce did in fact purchase this car from him. Not only did they have the car towed in order for it to be examined for any evidence, but, and you know, sure enough, they did find blood inside of the vehicle. So, um, but they did also obtain surveillance of Bruce at the shop. So, Bruce is looking a little guilty right now, right? Evidence from his vehicle led investigators to obtain a warrant for Bruce's apartment in which they copied his computer's hard drive. And after doing so, Project Prism issued a warning about dating apps and urged people to use them to use caution when meeting people they don't know. They did end up finding post-mortem photos of his victims and like fucking disgusting. This guy is horrible. He a lot of his victims, he dressed them in like a fur coat and he would put like he would put cigars in their mouths. What the fuck? Yeah. This is when police started to do round the clock surveillance on Bruce and gave instructions to everyone involved that he was to be arrested if seen with anyone like alone. If it was just him and another man, they need to fucking go in and arrest him. Because some bad shit is probably going to go down. (laughs) So Bruce and a man by the name of Sean Cribben, who had actually been talking for a while at this point, the two had been talking over different gay dating sites. Sean was interested in Bruce because his bio stated how much he liked to push limits when it came to, you know, sex pretty much. And that he was a landscaper. And Sean really liked that about Bruce. On January 18th, 2018, the two decided to meet up, so Bruce agreed to pick him up, and he would bring him back to his house, since he lived just a few blocks away. So after Bruce picked up Sean from his house, Sean kept bringing up all the disappearances in the area, but Bruce was, like, kind of just really quiet the whole car ride. Once at Bruce's apartment, Bruce started making Sean a drink with GHB in it, but Sean was, like, totally aware of this, because he kind of, I guess, liked that kind of thing. Sean... Like I was saying, kind of say he likes rough sex with Bruce. So he started, he stated that, yeah, he stated that everything, you know, needed to be consensual. And at first that's how it seemed until Bruce started choking Sean to the point that he couldn't breathe anymore. And Sean just started panicking. And now he's being choked after consuming, you know, a lot of this GHB. Like I said earlier, the police were right outside of Bruce's apartment watching him take this man into his home, and they were to arrest Bruce, right, if they saw him alone with anyone, and they truly believed that, you know, his life was at risk, so that was their time to make an arrest. But 20 minutes go by after Bruce had brought in Sean into his apartment, and that's when police make entrance into the apartment. Why it took 20 minutes, I have no idea. If they know that he potentially, like, hurt this guy... I'm sure he could do it in less than 20 minutes. So I don't know why they waited 20 minutes. Just my opinion. I don't know why. Once they make entrance in the apartment, they find Sean handcuffed on a bed with a black bag over his head. And he was like kind of shaken up, but he wasn't injured at all. They arrested Bruce and he was charged with the murders. 
because, you know, he was kind of related to the other murders that they were, you know, think, and they also, you know, found a little bit of evidence in that car. They are seeing him tie up Sean, so they arrest him, but they also arrested him on the charges of the murders of Salim and Andrew, the last two victims that, um, that he had killed pretty much. But investigators believe that there were much more. And like I was kind of saying, that I had mentioned earlier that Bruce's car had blood evidence in it, and that was the reason why they initially gained access to Bruce's apartment. Besides, like I was saying, <laughs> seeing him alone with you know a potential victim, and luckily they found Sean alive. And that blood that they actually did find in Bruce's car belonged to Andrew Kinsman. January 18th, the same day that Bruce was arrested, police obtained search warrants for five different properties related to Bruce solely based on his landscaping business. There were four properties in Toronto and one nine-acre property, which was about 200 kilometers or 120 miles northeast of Maddox, Ontario. And four of those properties were searched, but nothing was found. So they released them back to their owners. The last property to be searched was the Leeside apartment, and this is where Bruce was living. January 19th, the day after Bruce was arrested, police brought in cadaver dogs into and around the residence. They alerted on large planter boxes, but they were like frozen to the ground, so they had to bring in heaters to thaw them out. There were 12 of these large planters in total. They were wrapped on January 22nd and brought into the coroner's office to get inspected. It was on January 29th that they announced their findings. They found the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in just two of those 12 planters. Two men I never mentioned was Dean Lissowick, believed to have been 43 or 44 when he went missing, but no one ever reported him missing because he was homeless. But investigators believe that at the time Bruce was involved with his disappearance as well as Krushna Kanagartnam, who was 37 when he went missing, and he was also never reported. So just keep that in mind. February 8th, they announced three more skeletal remains found, and one of them was positively identified as Andrew Kinsman. They believed that most of the murders occurred in that apartment, as they also found 18,000 photographs and collected 1,800 items from his apartment. Wow. Yeah, February <laughs> fur coat cigar photographs. Yes, yeah, disgusting. This guy is a fucking garbage human being. <laughs> February 23rd, Bruce was charged with six counts of first degree murder, but later investigators found a seventh body, and Bruce was now charged with a seventh count of first degree murder until the eighth victim was found. Oh my god. And Bruce was charged with eight counts of first degree murder. Finally, on January 29th, 2019, 66-year-old Bruce MacArthur was sentenced to life with no parole for the next 25 years. The judge stated that Bruce was pure evil and that he showed no evidence of remorse and would have kept on killing if he was not apprehended. So, like I was saying, this piece of human garbage is now arrested and not in society anymore. So... Like, I always like to talk about the victims a little bit and who they truly were before they were taken off this planet by this horrible person. Skandarash, he also went by Skanda. One of his friends stated, quote, if you knew Skanda, you would love him. He was a very attractive, handsome young man with a charismatic attitude who loved to laugh. It's hard to explain, but we were like a little family of misfits. We were all supportive of Skanda because he was going to school at the time and still waiting to be confirmed as a landed immigrant. He was a great hearted person, unquote. Abdul Basir, 
he was living a double life that his wife was unaware of until she, you know, read the court records. She stated, though, that they had been married since 1999, they had two daughters together, and that he would never abandon them whatsoever, and that they were looking forward to an upcoming vacation. He was described by his friends and family as a family man, very intelligent, funny, smart, and a man who truly loved his kids. Majid also lived two separate lives. He also had a wife and children. His brother stated, quote, I still have not comprehended how this crime happened. It has consumed the majority of my thoughts. Sarush, his wife, reported him missing. She stated in court that he was her soulmate. A relative of his stated, quote, It was a beautiful smile he had, a good heart. He loved me too much, and he worked really hard, as well as being the life of the party, unquote. Dean was the homeless man that wasn't reported missing. Um, a former sex trade worker of Dean stated, quote, he was a sweet guy. If he saw someone being harassed or something like that, he was always the first one to come to the rescue. He was very sweet and savvy. So it, was just, it just baffled me that he, of all people, would be a victim. Salim, uh, his brother stated, he, quote, he was friendly, kind-hearted, open, independent-minded, and curious, passionate about learning new things, gardening, exploring new places, and meeting new people. His tender and kind humanity came before everything else. Andrew Kinsman, um, I crazy enough, I read some information that that he was very into the psychology of serial killers and like how they function and everything. So I thought that was kind of interesting. There was another serial killer that he was kind of interested in and him and Bruce have some very weird similarities. So it's kind of creepy. But his sister did state that she just hoped that he didn't suffer when he died. Krushna. The other man that was not reported missing, his brother stated, quote, I feel guilty that I couldn't save my brother. I feel guilt that I'm still alive on this earth. His sister uh, stated, quote, I don't want to live in this world, which became so terribly cruel. And that's the end of part two of this fucking monster. <sighs> just makes me think like, you know, if, if his dad wasn't so strict or if he just felt that he could come out about his sexuality. And a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot along with all these other men too like it's sad that they couldn't come out about that and they kind of had to hide it and everything and maybe if Bruce could I don't know you know be able to live the life that he wanted originally then maybe he wouldn't go on to kill people but I don't know it's a wild story it's fucking wild and horrible it's definitely got some Dahmer vibes to it yes drugging men bringing him back to his place very true. But with a landscaping background. So mm-hmm. no wonder you I put never it. thought about landscapers that they would know where to put body parts. Yeah, before. right. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking it's nuts. Yeah. What a way to hide a body in a but Yeah, like you, like you said, like, it, you know, if all these men could have came out, maybe they wouldn't have to go through the you know, back door of society. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Makes you wonder. But yeah, thanks for listening to part two of Bruce MacArthur. We will have a whole new case next Monday. Until then, stay safe, be aware. We'll see you next week. Check your landscapers. <laughs> <laughs>